Hi. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. Good morning. Good to see you guys this morning. Uh, Going to do things a little bit different. We have an interview this morning before we get into uh, the main part of the message. Uh, Rob is one of our small group facilitators here at FBC. He's also one of the ushers, so you've probably seen him around. Uh, and we're going to uh, just hear from him a little bit about small groups and things where our t- uh, sermon this morning is Unleashed, Letting God Out of Our Small Group. And so I thought it would be neat if we could have somebody that regularly works in small groups to come and share their perspective on what being a facilitator in a small group is like. And so, Rob, we'll just uh, have a word of prayer, and then we'll jump right into the questions. So, Father, I just want to thank you for this morning. I thank you for the opportunity to, to be here. Um, Lord, just as that last song, Lord, we thank you for the cross. Thank you for all that was accomplished there on our behalf. And Lord, I just want to pray that this morning as we uh, just talk about you, talk about your commandment to us, one of your commandments to us, Lord, and Lord, just our opportunity to fulfill that commandment in our lives and then also through, um, through being involved in a small group, I just want to pray that you would just um, help us to be sensitive to what you want to teach us, help us to want to change and according to what your word teaches us. Lord, just thanks for Rob. Thank you for his willingness to be here this morning. In your name, amen. So Rob, we'll just start with a, a fairly simple one. Um, how did you get involved in small groups? Well, uh, Paul and I were looking to connect with the church and possibly just meet some new people. And so we approached, I believe it was Pastor Ryan at the time, and he got us connected with just a great group of people. Awesome. And what do you enjoy about small groups? I think what I enjoy most is just getting other people's views on the topics, mm-hmm. and the friendships that we've made have been just incredible. Awesome. How long have you facilitated a small group? I think we're coming up in about two years. Um, pretty much when COVID started is when I took over. Easy so time. Not terribly easy. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of Zoom meetings and, yeah. uh, I don't know, it, it worked out anyway. Awesome, awesome. So when you thought about facilitating a small group, what were some of the biggest fears or concerns that you had before taking on that role? Um, there were many fears and concerns. <laughs> I think most of all, I'm an introvert. Uh, that was a big hurdle. Uh, also, just thinking I wasn't knowledgeable enough to uh, take on the responsibility. Mm. And have those fears come true? Uh, not at all, Bruce. That's awesome. Uh, the way that it's set up now with sermon-based uh, group meetings, it, it's so simple. It's basically just reading questions and a little bit of prayer. Awesome. Awesome. Would you encourage someone to join and or facilitate a small group? Absolutely. There's a place for anyone. Uh, whether you're deep in your walk or a new Christian, there's, there's room for you. Uh, all that wisdom needs to be shared. Uh, there's people that just want to soak it up. So 
Absolutely. Anybody out there. And can you share a specific blessing that you've received either as a member of a small group or as a facilitator? That's another tough one to answer because there have been so many. Mm. Um, I think it's given me a lot more boldness to share my faith. Mm. Um, Just praying in a small group has been incredible too. Um, There's so many. Awesome. Thanks, Rob. I appreciate your time this morning. Thanks for being willing to share. And let's give him a, a little hand of encouragement. Thank you. So we are going to be talking about small groups this morning. Um, But as we look at this morning's topic, uh, maybe you're not involved in a small group, maybe it just doesn't work at this stage of life, please don't feel like um, this message is like, hey, you're only a really great Christian if you uh, take part in small groups. That's not the point of the message, that's not the heart of the message this morning. Certainly want as many people as possible to be involved with small groups, um, and I think there's lots of blessing to them. Uh, But there is lots of other ways to fulfill this commandment that we're going to look at uh, this morning from Scripture. Again, if you're not able to be in a small group, uh, please don't take this as a message like, wow, you really need to be, Um, you know, and if you're not, you're not a great person, but um, if you are involved in a small group, great. Uh, If you're not, there's going to be lots of different ways for you to fulfill uh, this commandment of, of Christ that we're going to look at. Our small groups uh, this year, we've a theme verse is Hebrews 10, 24. We're also going to throw in 25 as well, just for you to see. It says this, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And so it's our desire that um, small groups really provide you that means, really of, of looking at somebody in the eye and having people looking you in the eye and stirring you up to love and to good works, to encourage you in your faith that a small group keeps you accountable. A small group is, is really harder to dodge you know, than maybe having a deep conversation on Sunday morning. You know you're going out there on a, on a Wednesday night or a Tuesday night, and you know people are going to ask you about, hey, how are you going to apply this message in your life, things along those lines. And so we have this awesome opportunity for people just to keep us accountable, for people to keep us on track spiritually and, and really to, to really push us along in our spiritual uh, walk. This morning, uh, our our passage is going to come from John chapter 13. So if you want to turn there, John chapter 13. Uh, John chapter 13 through 17 is one of my favorite chunks of Scripture. I just just enjoy reading it. Um, It's an up-close picture of of Jesus' final conversation with his disciples before he was arrested and and crucified. And here we see so much... um, passion, I guess, for Jesus just to say to his disciples, hey, I really want you to key in on these things. Jesus teaches them about service. He gives them um, encouragement. He gives them instruction. And again, just the the love for his followers that had faithfully followed him. I would encourage you uh, this week to take John 13 through 17 and just read it in one sitting and just listen to that conversation, see what Jesus has to say, uh, see some of the confusion that the disciples have and then how Jesus addresses that. Um, but just take that you know, time this week, read that all, all in one sitting and just to get the, the real feel of, of that conversation. Where we're going to pick up this, the, 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 the story or the account today, Jesus has already washed the disciples' feet. He's, he's taught them about being a servant. 
And then he's, he's introduced the fact and, and really shocked them with the fact that Judas is about to betray him, that, Jesus, that Judas is going to betray Jesus for, for 30 pieces of silver, and, and Judas has really just been dismissed from the room. And now Jesus is talking about the fact, he said, now it's time for me to be glorified and, and for the Father to be glorified. And Jesus is saying, through my death on the cross, the proper attention is going to be given to the Father and, and to me. And I would encourage you too, as you, you stop and, and, and just as you go about your life to stop and just to think about the cross. Have you ever thought of the cross not just as, as the means of your forgiveness, but also the cross as the fact that, that God reveals his character and nature to us. The Son reveals his character and nature to us through the cross. On the cross, we see the fact that, that God is wrathful against sin, that he will punish sin. We also see the forgiveness that God has, the grace that he has in, in forgiving our sins, the mercy that he has in offering us the gift of eternal life. We see the fact that, that uh, again, his love expressed in, in, in many different ways. We see the Father's holiness as, as you know, the scripture tells us that his eyes are too pure to look on evil. And as the son hangs there on the cross taking, taking our sin and our shame, the father turns his back on the son because he cannot look on his son who's, who's bearing the sins of the world. We see so much about God's character. We see so much about his nature. Um, and I would just encourage you, again, just to pause throughout the week and often and think about the cross and think about what it means, again, in, in a much deeper, deeper sense of what does it tell me about who God is? What does it tell me about who the Son is? And then Jesus says to the disciples, he said, hey, you're going to seek me, but you're not going to be able to find me. And he looks through that passage like, well, what is that all about? And what that's about is Jesus is saying, hey, uh, my job now is done. I am going to, to return to the Father after my death, burial, and, re and resurrection. He's going to send to the Father. You're not going to be able to come there yet because you have a job. And you have a mission. And that job that was passed on to them has also been passed on to us. Is that it's our job and our responsibility as believers in Jesus Christ and their responsibility as disciples to point other people to Jesus. And that could be telling people that have never heard about him, tell them about him so that they can come to know him. Or maybe it is just, not just, but it is to encourage each and other, other believer in Jesus Christ in their walk with him. We have a mission, we have a purpose. It's not our time yet to be in heaven because God wants us here telling other people about him. And so that brings us to our key text for this morning. And you can look with me, uh, verses 34 and 35. Jesus says this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. There's a pile of truth in these two sentences, and honestly, I don't think we have time to justify everything that's here, but I want you to see three things with me this morning. The first thing is that we are to love one another. It's our responsibility as Christians is to love one another. Secondly, that that love is to be the same as Christ's love for us. We're going to see what that means and the standard that, that's, that we are called to. And then finally, we're going to see that our love for each other is a major identifier of us as believers in Jesus Christ. As people see our love for each other, they should say those people must follow Jesus because of the love that they show for each other. And so let's uh, look at this a little bit out of order. And if you look at the first verse again, you're going to see this. A new commandment I give to you. 
And when you see that, you might think, well, what's going on? We've been told to love each other. We, we know that that's a, that's a commandment of Scripture for, for a long time. In fact, earlier in the week, this was likely Thursday night when Jesus is talking with his disciples. Um, and earlier in the week, just on Tuesday, one of the religious leaders had approached Jesus and said, you know, what's the first and greatest commandment? We see Jesus answer, and he says this in Matthew 22. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus just, just stated three days before that we're to love others. We're to love our neighbor as ourself. And, and actually what he's doing is he's quoting from Leviticus chapter 19, which was written about 1,300 years earlier. And so what's Jesus talking about when he says a new commandment? Did the stress of what was going to happen to him in just, just the next few days, did that sort of overwhelm him and he kind of forgot? And he's like, oh, let me tell you something new. No, that's not what happened. Jesus never made a slip of the tongue. Jesus never forgot anything. But he's got a point here. And it's really interesting because, because what Jesus is doing is he's taking another opportunity to call us to next level living. And he really started this um, in the Sermon on the Mount. That's really the first time that we see this in Scripture, chapter, you know, Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7. And we see Jesus as he's addressing the, the crowd that day. And you see this phrase a number of different times. Jesus says this, You have heard it said, but I say to you. And so what he did is he would, he would take the Old Testament teaching and people's understanding of the Old Testament teaching and, and he'd say, Hey, you've heard it said this. But I want you to understand that there's a, a much deeper, a much richer meaning. As he talked about anger, you know, you shall not murder. You think you're okay, but you know what? If you harbor anger in, in your heart against somebody, it's, it's, a, it's like you have murdered them if you harbor that hatred. And so Jesus was constantly pulling out this next level living. And that's what he's doing here uh, in, in John chapter 13. He said, hey, this is a new commandment. There's a new a new level that I want you to strive for, a new understanding that I want you to strive for. Because if I am to love my neighbor as myself, that's one thing, that is sacrificial. And that kind of comes across like, you know, let's just say if I really want my team to win the Stanley Cup, if I really want my team to, love, to win the Stanley Cup, if I'm to love my neighbor as myself, and I am to, in a great faith of the nearly impossible, also wish the Toronto Maple Leafs fans that their team would win the Stanley Cup at some point, right? All right? So I need to desire for others what I desire for myself. And all kidding aside, if we think of that and we think, okay, how does that apply in my life? If I want security in my life, then I would, should want to provide that security to make sure that my neighbor has that security as well. If I want provision in my life, then I should make sure that my neighbor is provided for as well. I should want for them what I want for myself. And Jesus said, that's the standard, but I, I'm going to take that one and I'm going to raise you to another level. And he says this, I want you to love as I have loved you. See, Christ's love for us is a sacrificial love. Christ left heaven to become human, to live amongst us, to suffer all the things that we suffer as humans, hunger, loss, weariness, um, the, the stress of life, all of those things. He did that so that he could then go to the cross 
to die on the cross for the sins of the world, to take the punishment for sin that you and I deserve, He took that upon Himself so that we could be forgiven. And so Jesus is saying, this is how I want you to love. I just don't want you to see your neighbor as your equal. I want you to prefer them over yourself. And so that means if I want shelter, that I should seek that for myself, yes, but if it means that I need to make a sacrifice so that somebody else can have shelter, that I need to do that. If I want provision, that I should seek to have that for myself, yes, but that I should also seek to make sure that that's provided. And if I need to suffer some loss of my provision so that somebody else could be provided for, I need to be willing to do that. And so Jesus is saying, hey, I want you to be sacrificial in your love. I don't want you just to be, to be surface in your love. I want, to, I want you to value those neighbors more than you even value yourself. And I'll be honest, that's a tough one. That's a hard one. That's something that, that I cannot do on my own. That is only something that I can do if I allow the Holy Spirit to work in me. That I allow God's love to flow through me. Because honestly, I want to make sure I'm comfortable first. Honestly, I want to make sure that, that everything's going well for me before I take care of everybody else. I'm sure you might struggle with that as well. But Jesus said, hey, you want people to know that you follow me? You want people to know that you are my disciples? Then you need to show them love just as I have shown you. So I wanted to take a little minute just to look at, at, at sort of the how. How do, I, how do I do this? How do I walk in, in love? How do I do it on a daily basis? And I think that we're going to do that. We have to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians 13, if you want to pop over there. Um, it's an interesting passage, and I think, honestly, I believe it's been totally hijacked by the wedding community, right? You go, you, you go to a wedding, and what passage of Scripture is going to come out? It's, it's 1 Corinthians 13. Great passage for a wedding, all right? Not saying that it's not. But I think in looking at it in, in a wedding sense most of the time, or in a marriage sense most of the time, we look at it more as a romantic love as opposed to the love that we're supposed to be living out every day. And so I want to take a look at a little bit of the background of, of 1 Corinthians 13, and then I just want to walk through some of the elements that are found there and how we're supposed to be um, living and showing love towards each other. And so to fully understand uh, chapter 13, we've got to pop back to chapter 12. So let's look at a couple verses there. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. It says this, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And so Paul here, he's talking about spiritual gifts. Chapter 12 is, is this amazing passage on spiritual gifts. And he says, to each one is given a manifestation for the common good. Each and every one of you, each and every one of us who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ as personal Savior has been giving, given a gift or gifts from the Holy Spirit so that other people can move along in their faith so that other people can be encouraged to tell other people about Jesus and so that people can be drawn to Christ for the, for the first time. God has done that. He's done that very intentionally. He's gifted you specifically to, to help others along in their faith. Paul continues along in verse 11. He said this, All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who appoints to each one individually as he wills. 
And so the Spirit doesn't make a mistake. The Spirit takes, looks at you, foreknew you, and he said, this is the gifts that I am going to give to them. This is how I want to use them to further my kingdom. This is how that they are going to fit together in the whole so that they are most effective and the people around them are most effective in their walk with Jesus Christ. Each and every one of us here has a part to play to move FBC forward in reaching others for Jesus. Each and every one of us here has a part to play to move your small group forward in following Jesus. Each and every one of us here has a gift given so that we can move the message of Jesus further throughout the globe. We all need to be stepping in to do the part because God has said, I've given this to you so that the whole works most efficiently. And then 1 Corinthians 12 continues on, uh, 27 through 31. It says, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. So here's this fantastic passage. Paul lists these gifts that the Holy Spirit gives, and, and, and he says, look, be earnestly desiring these gifts, and even working towards, you know, um, developing your gifts, and, and it, it appears here is to say, as you desire them, as you grow, perhaps you will be even given more responsibility, more gift by the Holy Spirit to further his kingdom. Earnestly desire them, work hard for them, look at them and say, God, you know, how can I be used uh, in a greater way? To, to spread the news of your kingdom? How can I be used in a greater way to encourage those around me? He said, desire those. And then he says this, but I want to show you a still more excellent way. And that brings us to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It says this, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. So Paul's saying here, there's this incredible opportunity to be gifted by the Holy Spirit. But there has to be a foundation laid in our lives before we can really be useful in these. He said, the more excellent way is the way of love. I can be incredibly gifted. I can be, you can be so, so well organized. You can be a great speaker. You can, you can have all of these things going for you. But, if, but Paul says, if you don't have love, then you're basically striking out. He uses the analogy of a, of a, a clanging cymbal or a noisy gong. You're somebody who makes a lot of noise but you're kind of annoying if you don't have love. And that's what Paul wants us to see. 
And we need to have that foundation in our lives of love. We need to have that foundation that, that just says, hey, if I'm going to use these gifts, I have to do it not for my own glory, not to bring attention to myself, but because I care for others around me more than I care about myself. So there's a number of things that love does. It's interesting as you look through um, this passage, it says love is or does, and then it says also love doesn't. And so let's start by the things that love doesn't do. And we can see there's a number of different things. The first five things that we see in relation to that is love does not envy, boast, it's not arrogant or rude or insist that it gets its own way. I think if we were to sum these things up, we could say that love doesn't focus on ourselves. If I see myself as the most important person in the room, if I'm full of arrogance, if I'm full of pride, do you think I attract people to myself? Do you think people want to be around me? Maybe some people that like power or whatever may want to be, but really in, in the heart of it all, nobody wants to be around that person that always has to one-up them. Nobody wants to be around that person that is, is constantly bragging about how good they are. It's not enjoyable. Many of you have probably worked on projects where a person had to get their own way, no matter what. You know, love doesn't do that. Love doesn't insist on its own way. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It doesn't put other people down. It's not demeaning. Right? And we also see uh, a little bit further, it says, um, the next three, they're not irritable, resentful, or rejoice in wrongdoing. This can be summed up in the fact that love does not hold on to wrong or wish to harm other people. You ever find yourself being irritable? Time changed, lost an hour's sleep, kids had to get ready this morning, or you're irritable, you know, sometimes that does happen. Resentful, rejoice in wrongdoing. Again, we don't want to hold on to the wrongs that other people do to us. We want to be willing to let those things go. We want to be ready uh, to forgive. So that's what love doesn't do. But what does love do? Right out of the gate, we see that love is patient. I think about my time growing up and my teenage years in particular. And I think that during those teenage years, I made a lot of decisions that, that hurt my parents. And I made a lot of decisions that just flat out rebelled against them. You know, and there were times, many times, where they corrected me. There were many times that my actions hurt them and made them justifiably angry. But in each and every one of those moments, I never questioned whether they loved me. They stood up. Love is, love is not passive. Patient love is not passive. It stands up for the truth. It defends the truth. It corrects when there's wrong. But it's also one of those things that continues to endure no matter, no matter what comes our way. You see this sort of illustrated in, in Jesus in a number of different places. You see him, he, he loved his disciples and, and, and scripture says, you know, he loved them to the end. He loved them to the full degree. But there were times where Jesus would just kind of look at them and rebuke them. Oh, you know, oh, you little faith, why did you doubt? You know, patient love isn't passive, it will correct. Jesus, when, when Peter, uh, you know, Jesus was talking about his death and, and burial resurrection that was coming, and, well, he, wasn't, he didn't necessarily miss the resurrection there. Peter takes Jesus aside and says, Jesus, I got a piece of wisdom for you. This, this death of yours, it, it just can't happen. And Jesus looks at him and he says, get thee behind me, Satan. Right? Did, Peter love, did Jesus love Peter? Absolutely. And you can see this whole beautiful picture of restoration uh, in, in Scripture at the end of John, in the Gospel of John. He loved Peter, loved him greatly. 
but when it was necessary, he was also loved him enough to correct him. So patient love doesn't just, you know, see wrong and ignore it. Patient love loves enough to come alongside and, and correct. So love is patient. Then we see that love is kind. Love looks to serve other people. Love looks to, to, to care for other people and to, and to do things kindly for them. I was privileged this week to just see kindness on display in, in, in great measure uh, here, at, here at FBC. On Friday, I don't know if Doug mentioned it during announcements or not, but we, we had a funeral here. Um, young man uh, had passed away. His family was hurting greatly. And it was amazing just to see how many people stepped up to make sure that that funeral and that service um, was as special as possible for that family. On Thursday night, um, young adults are scheduled to go to about 9.30, um, and we were down the fireside room, and that was going to be one of the rooms that they had tables and chairs set up, and also they had to set up a couple hundred tables and chairs in the, in the, um, in the kids' worship center. And uh, they, the young adults, I just asked them, I said, do you guys mind ending early so we can help uh, get those tables and chairs set up? There wasn't a hesitation. Every single one of them pitched in, made sure that those tables and chairs were set up made sure that, that everything was set up well. You come in on Friday morning and there's a crew of people in the kitchen just working hard to make sure that the, the luncheon is, is just as it should be. To have that environment so that when people came to, to just to grieve and to, to, to talk about the loss that had happened and to, to encourage each other in that, it was such a comfortable and welcoming environment. And Doug just uh, you know, speaking on, at that funeral. This is an amazing job of, of showing God's love to people who are hurting. An opportunity to present the gospel to many, many people. And it was just amazing to see love on display. And so FPC, I just, I just humbled to be part of that process and to see how much care and kindness is shown uh, you know, to people in, in need. The next four aspects of love... They come across kind of like bullet points, but I think there's some, some really deep things that we have to pull out of them. It says this, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. So what, what does it mean that it bears all things? And, and Barnes in his notes on the Bible says this, it means that in regard to the errors and faults of others, there is a disposition not to notice or revenge them. There is a willingness to conceal or bear with them patiently. You think about that today and, and you think about how easy it is for us to want to share the faults of other people, who wants to share maybe the way that somebody has hurt us or offended us and, and we, we don't mind publishing that and broadcasting that around, either through just conversation, through social media, through whatever means, that tendency to, to just make sure that people know what was done wrong and how we were offended and, and how we were hurt. But if love, if we are to be Christ followers and if we are to live out that well, we are not to be looking to publish and to broadcast the, the offenses that other people commit against us. We're not, we're not supposed to be trying to gather support for our cause so that this person looks as bad as they possibly can. That we're even willing to, to ignore some of those things that are maybe petty annoyances because in the, in the big picture, it really doesn't matter. We are supposed to be able to, again, uh, to deal with them patiently, to come alongside. Yeah, to correct one-on-one -on -one for sure. There's a place for that. But sometimes there's just a place to, to just ignore it, to let it go, 
and to not be as offended as we feel we should be or need to be. There's also the fact that love believes all things. And this is interesting. Uh, Stephen J. Cole says this, this does not mean gullibility. It does mean that love is not suspicious and doubting of the other person's character and motives without good reason, even if his actions offend you. If trust has been broken, then it needs to be earned again, step by step. But love believes the other person is innocent until proven guilty, not guilty until proven innocent. If there is a problem, love doesn't jump immediately to blame the other person. I was thinking about this this week and just how do you, how do you illustrate that? And I thought about, you know, what do you do when somebody cuts you off? You know, you're just driving along and all of a sudden somebody cuts you off or they run the stop sign, they cut out in front of you. What is your, what is your natural reaction? You know, there's that, there's that feeling, of course, of fear. Like, oh my goodness, I don't want to be in an accident. I don't want to be hurt. I don't want other people to be hurt. You know, but do you quickly go to, man, that person's an idiot, you know? Do you want to just lay on the horn to make sure you, they know how mad you are or perhaps pull up beside them and give them the universal symbol of displeasure, you know? You just want to let them know how badly they have offended you and hurt you, right? But what does love do? Love takes the time to think what's going on in their life. Love takes the time to realize that they probably don't want to be in an accident either. They didn't want to, they don't want to have an accident. They don't want to be injured. They don't want their vehicle to be harmed. You know, love takes the time to say, you know what? Maybe they have a kid in the back seat that just puked everywhere and they were distracted. Maybe they just got terrible news and they're rushing home. They're rushing to the hospital. They're, 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 they're dealing with something that, that has them distracted. Should they cut you off? No. Should they run a stop sign? Absolutely not. But when something happens and we are offended, do we automatically assume the other person is just vile and out to get us? Or are we, are we willing to stop and think, what's going on? Why did that happen? Why did they do that? And to assume that they were not ill-intentioned in what they did? Are we willing to see the good? Are we willing to accept that, that maybe it was just a mistake? Maybe it was an accident. Maybe it wasn't personally directed at us, whatever the action was. Maybe there's so many things going on in the background that we just don't understand why that happened in the moment. But we need to be able to say, what is the good in that person? We need to be able to look for the good rather than assuming that they're out to get us or out to offend us. The next two kind of go together, hopes all things and endures all things. Hope is, is, is believing that even when everything seems out of control, even when it seems like the person is hopelessly gone, love hopes all things and saying, I pray that that person will repent. I pray that that person would experience the forgiveness and love of Jesus. I pray that they would be restored. And then finally, love endures all things. Endures all things. God's love doesn't run out on us. How many times in the past week have we offended him? And yet his love never fails. As we think about the, the, just the end of this commandment, Jesus says in John 13, 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It's our identifier. 
It's, it's how people realize that we're followers of Jesus by this great love that flows from us. And small groups give us one of that opportunity, give us that opportunity to really put that on display. To really, to, to go to small group and to receive love from people. To go to small group and receive encouragement from people. To go to small group and just to celebrate with people. And not only to receive that, but in return to go and to give that is such a very special thing. It's something that in your conversations at work and things that, that people should be sort of like, what is this small group? Why do these people care so much? Why do you take the time to, to give so much time to them and we get that opportunity to share the love of Christ with, with other people? Our small group, just give you a quick example of how it sort of kicked me in the butt uh, a couple of times, but one time in particular. Uh, there's a guy, we live on a, on a close out east, we call them dead ends, um, but we live on a, on a close. And there's a guy across the street from us, he's got a quad, and he's got a little plow on that quad. And all winter, whenever it storms, he, he gets out on that quad and he goes around and he plows the sidewalks. That's pretty awesome. That's a pretty good thing. I appreciate it very much. And I was definitely feeling the nudge to, to express that appreciation, to get him a little something just so that, that he knows that, that we appreciate what he's doing. And honestly, it wasn't to make sure he kept doing it. It was just to show appreciation uh, for, for what he's doing. Um, but I kept, I kept stumbling. You know, I kept just like, oh, I didn't stop, forgot, whatever. And so I was sharing with my small group that, yeah, I really feel I should be doing something. And so they looked at me and said, we're just going to ask you if you did it by next week. I was like, Wow. <laughs> then I have to do it, right? There's, there, I don't want to be making excuses to my small group about why I didn't do it, right? And so that week I did what the Holy Spirit had been prompting me to do, you know, and I was able to have a conversation with him, let him, let him know, like, I know that I appreciated what he did. But honestly, without my small group there, being willing to eyeball me, being willing to challenge me, being willing to push me, I probably would have kept making excuses and missed the opportunity to to tell that guy that I appreciate him, hopefully share a little bit of the love of Christ with him. That's the thing about small group. It's not just about that meeting on Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night. The thing about small group is it, it's, it's a group of people that, that know you personally, that know about you, that pray for you, that are willing to look at you and that you have to look at them and they keep you accountable and they push you along. And they push you not only to, to be within the group, but they push you out to share the love of Christ with the people around you. And it's, again, not the only means, but it's a super cool way to be pushed along in your faith. Our sermon-based small groups are, are pretty simple to, to facilitate. You know, our, our, our goal, our dream is that, that people who are just in a normal social group make this intentional decision to say, hey, Every week, we, we normally hang out anyway, so we're just going to make a decision that, you know, every Tuesday night, every Wednesday night, every Thursday night, whatever works for you guys, we're going to get together and, and we're just going to push each other along spiritually. Our, our, the, way that we, the things that we use, I guess, for small group, very simple, sermon-based small groups, there are four, four aspects to it. First is just a simple getting to know you question. There's a couple different levels of those. There's two, two questions each week. One is a simple like, what was your favorite candy as a child? Or what's a time when you got in trouble when you were a kid? Something along those lines. The other one is a little bit more deep, more related to the message. Depends on the comfort of the group, how well each, each other knows each other. Then there's a, the second section that is either a passage of scripture to read and then to discuss some questions on that or a video to watch and discuss some questions on that. 
Third section is just simple questions from, from the message. Doug or myself or whoever spoke has written some questions that we want you to take just a little bit deeper in conversation. Uh, and they're really, the point there is to not only to know the what, but the how and, and how you're going to, to apply that to your life. And then the third, the fourth section, sorry, is just the going deeper section. It's that section that says, okay, so how are you going to apply it? What are you going to do this week to, to answer that challenge that was given in the message? Very simple. And if you're in a normal social group, they're, they're probably not questions that are, that are overbearing. Um, our group didn't really know each other well when we, when we started. Some of them hadn't even met each other. And after 10 weeks before Christmas, it was amazing to see how deep the relationships got, how willing people were to share and to be held accountable. And it just continues to grow. And that was a group that really didn't know each other at all. If you've already got a, a, a social circle, that's, that's, that's awesome. It just allows you more comfort to talk to each other. In our small group curriculum this week, though, we're going to see that small groups aren't designed to be closed. Small groups are never designed to exclude other people. We don't ever want to become a clique. We don't ever want to become, you know, you're not part of us, so then for, therefore we don't, you know, we don't include you. Small groups are always to be looking to, to grow, to include other people, to let Christ out, to let God out, to unleash him and to show love to, to other people around us. So this week, just as we close, I would encourage you a couple different things. Number one, read through John 13 to 17 this week. Just see the passion that Jesus you know, invests into the disciples on that night before he was, he was betrayed or the night that he was betrayed. Also, take some time to consider the cross. Think about what it reveals to us about the character and nature of God. Thirdly, take a minute to evaluate your love for those around you. Are you being patient? Are you being kind? Are you bearing record of wrong? Are you hanging on to things that you shouldn't be hanging on to? Are there some things that you just need to choose to let slide because they really ultimately don't matter? And then finally, I would encourage you uh, to get involved in a small group whether that's to attend and to join, whether that's to say, hey, I, I could facilitate. I can, I can ask questions of people. And I'd love to be using my gifts that the Holy Spirit has given me to encourage people along in their relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's, let's close in prayer. Father, I just thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for this new commandment, dear God, this next level commandment, Lord. Not just loving others as we love ourselves, but taking it to another level of loving others as you love us. Thank you for the, the tool of small groups, Lord, a way to, to show that love to others and then to, to share that love with others around us, dear God. And Lord, I just want to pray that, that you would use the ministry of small groups to, to draw people to yourself, to encourage people deeper in their relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, ultimately, I pray that whether we're in a small group or not, that we would seek to love others, to be obedient to this commandment because it's that commandment really that's one of the big identifiers that we are walking with you. I just want to thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being with us this morning. Have a super week.